everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Strange Matters Podcast, where we discuss anything that is bizarre, strange, and unexplained. I'm your host for tonight, Eric, and this episode is a follow-up to our last apocalyptic events episode, and I'm going to be discussing two new theories describing the potential end of the world as we know it. Now, I apologize for all of our end-of-the-world fans, as we haven't done an apocalypse episode in a while. However, tonight, I am planning on hitting everyone pretty hard with a couple of exotic theories. Now, to reiterate what we have said in our last apocalypse episode, there are a lot of people out there who tend to romanticize the concept of the end of the world. In popular culture, this has led to the production of tons of new movies and TV shows that revolve around this concept, whether it be zombies in World War Z and 28 Days Later, or aliens in War of the Worlds and The Day the Earth Stood Still. We always seem to be curious how we would measure up in a life-or-death situation where everyone else in the world is losing their minds. This fear and mystique inspires some to stock up on supplies and construct underground bunkers. However, the following apocalyptic event leaves little purpose for any sort of preparation. So let's get into it. The first theory about the end of the world is known as the Grey Goo Theory. And this theory is probably one of the most awe-inspiring, in my opinion, and yet the most terrifying, in a sense, because there's no possible escape from this apocalyptic event. So this means that all of those doomsday preppers out there would unfortunately stand no chance against this end-of-the-world scenario. Now, the phrase was first coined by Eric Drexler in 1986, and it revolves around the concept of our ever-expanding desire to grow our own science and technology. As our knowledge of the universe expands, we are able to do more and more remarkable things. This leads us into the realm of nanotechnology. Nanotechnology is basically what the name implies, the science and application of creating objects on a level smaller than 100 nanometers. This is already being used today. For example, nanotech tennis rackets are lighter and stronger than average tennis rackets and can be engineered to provide more motion control. Also, nanotechnology is being used in the realm of medicine to annihilate blood clots, attack cancer cells, and repair injuries. This all seems amazing, however, there is a more sinister side to things. More specifically, scientists are working on the production of nanobots, or nano-sized robots. Initially, this was thought to be nothing more than science fiction. However, as of recently, this concept is becoming more and more plausible and even inevitable. The development of nanobots, expected to usher in a new era of scientific development, as we will be able to construct circuit boards one atom at a time. These nanobots, also known as assemblers, will have the power to rearrange atoms in a molecule and turn carbon into diamonds. They are extremely difficult to produce given that they are inconceivably small. Therefore, the most efficient way to manufacture usable quantities of these machines is to provide them with the capability to build exact clones of themselves in a process known as self-replication. So if we were able to construct one nanobot, this nanobot would break down matter and use it as material to produce another nanobot. Then, each of those nanobots produce another nanobot. 
This process continues and results in exponential growth of the number of nanobots. This process would continue at a rapid rate until within an estimated 72 hours, the entire Earth and every living creature on it would be consumed. This would leave nothing but a mass of gray goo, a flowing sea of living yet lifeless robots, formed into a sphere by its own gravity. And if any extraterrestrial being flew its spaceship to Earth to investigate and landed on this surface, it would rapidly be consumed for the purpose of producing more nanobots. In his book, Engines of Creation, Drexler describes the power and limitations of this phenomenon. Imagine such a replicator floating in a bottle of chemicals, making copies of itself. The first replicator assembles a copy in 1,000 seconds. The two replicators then build two more in the next 1,000 seconds. The four build another four, and the eight build another eight. At the end of 10 hours, there are not 36 new replicators, but over 68 billion. In less than a day, they would weigh a ton. In less than two days, they would outweigh the Earth, and in another four hours, they would exceed the mass of the sun and all the planets combined. That is, if the bottle of chemicals hadn't run dry long before. So what is the likelihood that the planet could be ectophaged into a mass of self-replicating miniature robots? Well, the good news is that this gray goo theory would not come to pass without the intervention of some form of higher intelligence. For example, humans creating nanobots. So are we there yet in terms of our scientific development? Well, the short answer is no, obviously, given that the gray goo theory has not come to pass. However, many scientists believe that we could potentially be able to create robots that are, one, self-replicating, two, capable of withstanding harsh conditions, and three, mobile. And these are the three principles that Drexler says are necessary to potentiate the gray goo theory. Many would argue that in order to produce a robot that is programmable to this extent, will require enough space to make the robots too large to be functional on such a small scale. However, I'm sure they said the same thing about cell phones, and look at where we are today. Another piece of good news is that in 2004, a report by the Royal Academy of Engineers in the UK concluded that there is no foreseeable danger of autonomous self-replicating machines. Of course, this was 12 years ago. All this being said, it's worth also mentioning that this theory, while somewhat sci-fi in nature, does not violate any laws of physics, and therefore there is nothing to exclude this possibility. There are tons of potential reasons that individuals may strive to attain such a power, whether it be for criminal or altruistic gain, and regardless of whether they believe they are able to control it or not. This latter portion is irrelevant. If a single nanobot were to escape, there would be no hope, as the robot would not decide whether or not to set in motion a process that would destroy all human existence, it would simply do it. In a Wired Magazine article, computer scientist Bill Joy warns, It is far easier to create destructive uses for nanotechnology than constructive ones. For example, Take a relatively plausible present and future environmental problem and solution, cleaning a nature habitat after an oil spill. In this scenario, 
Billions of nanobots are deployed to consume the toxic oil and convert it into a less harmful substance. But a programming error directs the nanobots to devour all carbon-based objects, not just the oily hydrocarbons. These nanobots destroy everything and in the process replicate themselves. Within days or hours, planet Earth is turned into goo. The second theory regarding how the human race will be done away with is known as the grain situation. This theory is very unique. However, there are biologists out there who are very afraid of this potential situation. Picture a future world where the grains have taken over the Earth. They grow on all the planet's surfaces, fields, swamps, even your front yard and cracks in the pavement. This grain plague will be unstoppable. These plants make it impossible to grow other crops. There will be plenty of food for everyone. However, it's all bread. No fruits, no vegetables. Eventually, this would lead to vitamin deficiencies and our population would likely dwindle and die. Grain will blow across the surface of the earth and lead to massive fires that will rage endlessly. These fires will not only wipe out our civilization, but produce massive quantities of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which could potentially lead to another ice age. The grain will also soak up all of our water supply. So what do you think? Is this pretty crazy? Well, given our research and development into the realm of genetically modified crops, we are now mixing and matching genes in order to develop super crops that are resistant to insects and disease and extreme temperatures. These super crops will be able to grow on almost any surface, even potentially stone. So how likely is this situation? Well, as I mentioned, many biologists consider this to be a serious potential problem. As a matter of fact, the problem doesn't just lie with grain, however it could be an issue with any sort of genetically modified crops. GM crops are actually having a devastating effect on biodiversity, as thousands of acres of rainforest are being cleared every day to make way for monoculture genetically engineered crops. As the modified genomes of the plants are crossbreeding with other natural species of plants, this reduces the uniqueness of the naturally occurring gene pools. So basically what this means is there is a decrease in the complexity and variation in different types of plants. So these GM crops are taking over and wiping out other crops. Imagine what would happen if this phenomenon occurred in humankind. I think we would all agree it would be pretty awesome if everyone in the world was like me, but what if everyone in the world were like my co-host Sean? This would be a complete disaster and I think this situation needs no further explanation. Also, there have been some recent studies that have tested these genetically modified crops in rats. And the rats subsequently developed, you guessed it, tumors. So the only more terrifying thing than a world full of Shawns with tumors is the fact that not only is this a potential cause of the end of the world, but we are actually racing toward our own doom as nations continue to experiment with genetically modified crops in order to address food shortages and starvation in areas such as Africa. So similarly to the gray goo theory, if these super crops were to escape, in a sense, and begin spreading all over the world, growing on rocks, deserts, beaches, and all over the surface of the earth, they would eventually take over and cause the aforementioned problems, including but not limited to famine, fires, and ice age. 
Now, this is mostly theoretical. However, the truth is that the takeover of GM super crops has already occurred on a much smaller scale. In Canada, a field of rapeseed, which I find to be a fitting name based on what this plant is going to do to the world one day, actually escaped a test field and began shooting up all over the area. As terrifying as this may sound, scientists believe that this is not uncommon and also say that these seeds are pretty spoiled and don't like to grow outside of their well-fertilized, clean seed beds without competition. And in reality, these seeds don't do well in the wild. That being said, this is still a possibility in the future as we continue to experiment with these crops, and therefore it's worth discussing. So between the two end-of-the-world scenarios discussed tonight, personally, my favorite is the Grey Goo Theory. These nanobots are frequently illustrated in movies and pop culture as tiny bug-like creatures. Not only am I girlishly absolutely terrified of bugs, but it's just something about the concept of being essentially eaten alive that gives me the heebie-jeebies. And I suppose I'm not technically being eaten alive per se, but, you know, sort of organically deconstructed and turned into more bugs. So science is a pretty horrifying thing, and this is certainly something within the grasp of your typical day-to-day mad scientist. The other reason that the gray goo theory beats the grain situation is that I kind of picture the latter as sort of how I would picture an Egyptian desert in ancient times, where it's just kind of bleak and bare, and except for the Ice Age part, hot, and generally kind of a sucky, boring way to die. However, if you guys disagree with my conclusion, I would love for you to post on our website. So thanks for checking out our latest episode. Don't forget to check out our affiliate, Dart Miss, which has a wide variety of great podcasts, ranging from some historical programs to those discussing myths and legends, and a few very spooky fictional podcasts. If you have any feedback, ideas, or suggestions you want to share with us, or wish to further discuss this episode, please post on our website, strangematterspodcast.com, or email us at strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to follow us on social media, we have a Facebook page and Twitter. And if you're listening to us on iTunes and enjoy the show, please take the time to leave a rating and review. It means a lot to us and helps promote the podcast. With that being said, until next time here at Strange Matters, take it easy.